When we trust Jesus, when we turn to him and trust him, he starts to change our lives. It's a beautiful thing. Starts to change our thinking, transform our desires, our longings, change our behavior. Every area of our life starts to be impacted and affected and changed by him. And in today's passage, in the book of Romans, we're going to see that one of the areas that Jesus changes us in is in our relationships. Both our relationships with our fellow believers and in our relationships with those who are not yet believers. And I think that what God wants to do tonight through this passage is to continue to have us grow and be shaped by what his word says about our relationships. He has something special he wants to say to each of us on this topic of relationships. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15, which Will Marie just read for us. Now let me give you the setting, the background for this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Jesus had appointed Paul to be an apostle, which among other things meant that he was going to be gifted by Jesus to speak and to write perfect truth from God. None of us has that ability. Paul was given that gift, which is why his letters included in the Bible. Just like the Old Testament prophets had that gift, the New Testament apostles had that gift. Jesus called Paul to be an apostle. And Jesus commissioned Paul to take the good news of Jesus to those people who had never heard the gospel. Paul, that's your commission. People who've never heard, go to them. That was Paul's commission. And so for 20 years, Paul had been traveling up through Syria and then into Turkey and then over into Greece. He'd been preaching about Jesus where Jesus had never been named. He'd been planting churches in the major cities in that region where there had been no churches. He'd been for 20 years having a very powerful ministry of spreading the gospel and planting churches. But Paul was not content because Jesus had said there's people who've never heard go to tell them the good news of, of the gospel. And Paul knew that Spain was out there to the West. Never had the gospel preached to them. And Paul knew that traveling to Spain meant he'd be able to finally visit the church in Rome. And so that's why Paul writes this letter to introduce himself to the church at Rome, who he will visit soon in hopes that they would be praying for him as he heads to Spain and financially supporting him as he heads towards Spain. And today we're going to cover verses 8 through 15, where Paul explains why he has longed to see them so much. So let's raise this first question, which is answered in verses 8 through 10. What is in Paul's heart? If you could just open up and see Paul's heart, what's in Paul's heart towards these believers? Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, Paul had never visited this church, but he'd heard about how many people in Rome were coming to faith. He'd heard that there was a church established there. And think of how encouraging it would have been if you were in Jerusalem or in Antioch to hear that people are coming to faith in the capital of the Roman Empire. 
There's a church that's being established in Rome, the capital. Just the buzz would be going, everybody would be talking about it. And so that news of the faith that those believers had there in Rome was spread throughout all the the known civilized world. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 8. Then look at verses 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now notice that beginning phrase there, God is my witness. That is a, is a serious way to say, I am telling the truth. As God is my witness, God knows my heart, this is the absolute truth. As God is my witness. So it's really important to Paul, we can tell by that language, really important that they understand how much he has wanted to visit them and how often he has prayed that the door would be open so that he could visit them. Now, why is it so important that they understand that? Paul doesn't tell us, but I think it's an important question to ask. And here's what I think the answer is. The church at Rome had been planted for at least 10 years prior to Paul writing this letter. Over those 10 years, the believers in Rome would have heard of Paul. Everybody heard of the Apostle Paul. I mean, the the preaching, the, the suffering, the churches being planted, the advance of the gospel. They would have heard of Paul, but over those 10 years, Paul had never visited them. It's going everywhere else, but he'd never visited them. So Paul wants to make sure that they understand that his lack of visiting is not because there was a lack of love. Not at all. So he says, as God is my witness, I am telling you the truth. I have regularly prayed again and again that I could come to see you. So what we see in these verses, verses 8 through 10, is that what's in Paul's heart towards these believers is he loves them. He cares about them. He's never met them, but he longs to visit them, and he has prayed regularly and earnestly that God had opened the door so he could visit them. That's what's in Paul's heart. And that brings up our next question. Why does Paul long to see them? I mean, he really wants to see them. You get that idea, don't you? Really wants to see them. Why? The answer is in verses 11 and 12. Verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, underline that word long. That's a very important word there. I long to see you. That's a strong, strong word. Paul's not saying, I'd like to see you sometime. Paul's saying, no, I long to see you. I'm I'm passionate about coming to see you. I'm earnestly desiring to see you. This is a strong, ongoing desire that was in Paul's heart. And, And why? Well, in verse 11, he says, It's because he wants to impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them. Probably some teaching, some wisdom, some encouragement. He wanted to impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them. And then verse 12 says it's so that they can be mutually encouraged 
by each other's faith. So Paul wants to visit them so that his faith can encourage them and so that their faith would encourage him. Mutual encouragement by each other's faith. Now, as I was praying over these verses and just thinking, Lord, what does this mean for Grace Church? One thought that struck me was this. Don't be taken in by the lie that your Christian faith, your relationship with Jesus is just something private between you and him alone. It is private. It is between you and him alone. That's vital. As you spend time seeking God's face, opening up the scriptures, praying, he will meet you. He will comfort you. He will guide you. He will correct you. He will assure you. He will love you. There's a powerful, personal, private relationship between you and the Lord Jesus. I trust. Is there? Pursue that if you're not. So there is a private, personal aspect to it, but it's not only private and personal. That's what we see in this verse here. God will give you even more comfort, even more strength, even more encouragement, even more guidance, even more wisdom, even more peace, even more joy through your brothers and sisters. Are you connected with brothers and sisters where you are sharing spiritual gifts with each other other to strengthen each other and where you are mutually encouraging each other by each other's faith? Do you have those connections? You need them. Remember, the church is a body. Okay, so just figure this thumb here. This thumb is very happy and thriving as long as it's attached to my hand. If this thumb were taken off of my hand and put over here, how long would that thumb last? Not very long, right? Medical people? I'm right, aren't I? Okay. We're part of a body. We need each other. We're supposed to be connected together. And so, yes, it's personal and private, and it's corporate. And we need our brothers and sisters, and our brothers and sisters need us. That's what's going on here. It's a beautiful picture here in Romans 1. Now, let me show you how Paul puts this in another verse just to reinforce this even more. It's like, it's not just here in Romans 1. Look also at Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 29. Very powerful scripture. Paul says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul says that our talk can affect people in two very different ways. Our talk can corrupt people, can bring corruption into people's lives. Talk like, what, grumbling, uh, gossiping, uh, racial slurs, boastfulness. That can bring corruption to the people that are listening to us. You say words and corruption comes upon them as a result. Or the other way that our words, our talk can affect people is our words can builds people up and can give people God's grace. I mean, think about that. Your words can build people up in Christ, strengthen their faith, increase their hope in him, deepen their zeal for his glory and for his fame. Your words, your words 
Every believer in this room, your words can have that impact on another brother, another sister in Christ. And Paul says that when we do that, then we, we give God's grace to each other. Now, don't just let those words flow away. Those are amazing words that Paul says here. Your words of comfort, of encouragement, of, of gentle challenge, of assurance, your words can bring even more of God's grace to them. I mean, the picture that I have is you're sitting there at Starbucks and you speak these words and they travel across the table and they, they hit that person and it's like the heavens open up and more of God's grace is poured out upon them. Your words can have that impact. Never think that your words are just like, well, whatever. No, God's grace can be poured out upon your brothers and sisters through your simple words. You don't need to have a PhD. You don't need to be a genius. Just you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the Bible, you're set, right? Powerful grace can be imparted to people. So just let this raise your expectation of what can happen through your conversations. So husbands, when you talk with your wife, your words can build her faith in Christ. So she receives even more of God's grace. Your words tonight. Think about that. When you talk with your children, your words can build up their faith in Jesus Christ and they receive even more of God's grace as a result. When you meet someone in your home group for lunch, your words over that lunch can strengthen their faith in Christ. What an amazing thing. And bring even more of God's grace upon them. Or young people, when you are at the dinner table with your parents, your words can build up the faith of your parents and give them even more of God's grace. So all these conversations, strength being imparted, grace being poured out, strength, grace. Just think of what happens in church life when, when we're living what Paul says here in Ephesians 4.29 and what Paul says in Romans 1. Same thing. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 1. This is one of the reasons why Paul longs to see these believers. He'd never met them before, but oh, he loves strengthening through spiritual gifts. He loves mutual encouragement through each other's faith. Read verses 11 and 12 again and just let this impact you. For I long to see you. Here's one reason that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, let me give you an example from one of my heroes, David Brainerd. Okay, David Brainerd was a missionary to the Native American Indians in the 1700s. He kept a journal, a diary, and he, here's what he wrote when he was 24 years old. Tuesday, February 15th, 1742. Here's what he says. In the evening, I spent some time with a dear Christian friend and felt like we were on the brink of eternity. I felt like I was in the presence of our glorious God. I prayed with my friend with much joy in God, and we talked with great earnestness, great seriousness. There's joy, there's seriousness. Truly, it was a little taste of heaven itself. Strength, grace, fellowship. This is what Paul's talking about here. 
So let's think, think about the conversations that we have. Think about conversations after our worship gathering out in the foyer area, out in the patio, or over coffee, or at home, or just conversations with believers in the workplace, wherever they might be. Think of all that God can do through those conversations. Raise our expectations. Let's just raise them up. Strengthen each other. Build each other's faith. Encourage each other by each other's faith. That's one reason Paul longs to be with them, so he can do that. Let's, let's do that also, okay? And now let's ask a third question. What's another reason Paul longs to see them? That's one reason that's stirring a lot of that longing, but there's another reason. What is it? Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So a second reason that Paul longs to visit Rome, the believers in Rome, is because he wants to reap some harvest there in Rome as well as in further places like Spain, obviously. Paul knew that Jesus had talked a lot about how we are called to sow the seed of the good news of Jesus, right? Just like a sore sowing seed, just broadly. We should be sowing the good news of Jesus. We've sinned against God. We're cut off from him, but God sent Jesus. And through Jesus' death on the cross, we can be forgiven as we trust him, reconciled to God, know the presence of God in our lives, know God's love in our hearts, be with God forever, just sowing the good news of this word. And when this word impacts people and they turn to Jesus, they are forgiven for all their sins. Their hearts are changed. God's love fills their hearts. Sowing the seed, and then the harvest is reaped of people who've come to faith in Christ. Paul longs to go to Rome so that he can reap some more harvest. Paul loves to harvest. He loves to see people newborn coming into the faith, rejoicing in Jesus. He longs to go and see that happening in Rome. And that's the other reason why Paul wants to come to Rome. But, but let's not miss just how passionate Paul is about this aspect, this reason, as well. Read verses 14 and 15 to see how passionate he is. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager, underline that word eager, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Eager. Think about things that we're eager to do, okay? Like you're eager to travel back to your home country to, to see your family members. As the day gets closer, that eagerness is rising, right? You just can't wait to go see your family. Eager to maybe try a new restaurant, okay? Or go check out a new movie or a new board game or whatever it might be. There's, just think of what are you eager to do? And if you check Paul's heart, what's, what's happening in the eagerness department? He was eager to preach the gospel to people. Are you eager? Now, why was Paul eager? Why? Notice that word so at the beginning of verse 15. That shows that the reason Paul was so eager is found in the previous verse, verse 14. Here's how the flow of thought goes. Verse 14, I'm under obligation. Verse 15, so because I'm under this obligation, I'm eager to preach the gospel. 
So the reason Paul was eager was because of this obligation. What is this obligation he's under? That word obligation can also be translated. In fact, some of your versions probably translate it. I'm a debtor. I'm in debt to these people. I owe them. That's the kind of picture that Paul has in his mind. So who is it that Paul is in debt to? Who is it that he is obligated to? So we might think the answer is Jesus. After all, Jesus did call Paul to preach the gospel where the gospel had never been named before. And so there was a sense in which he was obligated to Jesus in that way, but that's not what Paul talks about here. Notice who Paul is obligated to here. He says he's under obligation to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. Now, first of all, don't misunderstand those words. Those words would not have been offensive to barbarians hearing that or to foolish hearing that. The word a barbarian could often just mean somebody who doesn't speak Greek. And the word foolish could simply be a description of somebody who hadn't been educated. It doesn't have quite the same connotation as the word foolish does in the English language today. So Paul's saying he's under obligation to those who do speak Greek and those who don't speak Greek. Well, that pretty much covers everybody, right? To the educated and the uneducated. That's everybody. That's Paul's point. I'm under obligation to everybody. That's what he's saying. So think about that. When he saw his neighbor, he's thinking, I'm under obligation to him. I am indebted to him. I owe him. When he saw a woman at the marketplace, I'm under obligation to her. I am indebted to her. I owe her. When he thought about the people in Spain who'd never heard, I'm under obligation to them. I am indebted to them. I owe them. Okay, what did he owe them? What kind of debt is this? And as I thought about this, I thought there's, there's two different kinds of obligation, two different kinds of debt. One is when somebody loans you something which you are obligated to give back to them. Okay, like if you loaned somebody your car, okay, you'd want them to feel an obligation to return the car to you, right? If they just started driving away and never said anything, about, wait a minute, there's an obligation, okay? But that can't be what Paul's talking about here. Makes no sense to think that Everybody loaned Paul something that now he's obligated to return to them. That, that just doesn't fit the picture. So cross that one off your list. That's not what Paul's talking about. But there is another kind of debt. This is where you've received something of such value that other people desperately need. You've received something of great value that other people need. Now, here's an illustration. In 2 Kings chapter 7, we won't open to it now. Read it on your own. Very powerful passage. Syria has come and attacked God's people in the city of Samaria. Have laid siege to the city of Samaria. They're going to starve them into submission. This has been going on for weeks and months, and people in Samaria are dying from starvation. It's an absolutely horrifying situation. But there are four lepers in the city of Samaria, who are talking one night and they say, listen, if we stay here, we're going to starve to death. But if we go out into the Syrian camp, they may kill us, okay, but 
Maybe they'll have mercy on us and feed us. And then we'll live. We'll be better off. We have nothing to lose. Let's give it a try. So they do. That night they go out in the evening. They sneak out of the city and into the, into the Syrian camp. But when they get there, they are shocked to discover that all the soldiers, all the Syrian soldiers have fled, leaving everything just as it was. There's, there's meat cooking on the barbecue. There's a little pot of lentil stew here. There's stacks of bread. There's wine and skins. I mean, they've, they've just left everything and fled. And what happened was God had made, a, made them hear a noise that sounded like a big army's coming against them. They thought, yikes, Israel's found a big army somewhere. We're out of here. And they just ran away. And imagine these starving lepers. You know, here's this food sizzling on the barbecue and this lentil stew and bread and skin full of wine. It's like, party, feast. And so they're just gorging themselves eating. But then, then somebody says, wait a minute. It's not right if we just stay here. We've received something of great value. We have food for thousands of people here. And our, our brothers and sisters in Samaria, they desperately need food. We are under obligation to go back and tell them. Do, do you feel, is, is there an obligation there to go back and tell them? Absolutely. And how would they feel going back into the city? I've got an obligation. I need to go tell them there's food out there. They'll say, everybody, there's food. Come on. And it's the best news in the world, right? That's the kind of obligation I believe Paul's talking about here. It's not because those in Samaria had loaned them something, which they must return. It's because the lepers have received something of such great value, which those in Samaria desperately need. So feel the obligation. Feel how indebted they would have been to them and feel how eager they would have been to fulfill that obligation. They would have not been begrudging about it. They would have not felt burdened by it. It would have been a joy. They would have run into the city to tell them. And that, I believe, is the kind of debt, kind of obligation Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 1. Paul knows that in Jesus, he has received something of such great value, which everyone else, everyone else, Greeks, barbarians, wise, foolish, everyone else desperately needs. He feels an obligation, a debt that he owes to everyone, and he longs to fulfill it. Let this change how you view unbelievers around you here in Abu Dhabi. You've received something of great value in Christ, which they desperately need. Imagine how you'd feel walking into a hospital full of terminally ill patients dying of, they're all in there dying of the same disease. They're dying. It's horrible, suffering. You walk into this hospital and you have the cure. You discovered it, whatever. You have it. How would you feel going into that hospital? You would be eager. You would long to go. You would be full of joy announcing to them. You have something of great value that they desperately need. And think of the thousands and thousands of people in this city. Thousands of people who are not trusting Christ. 
And what they're facing, what they're experiencing is far worse than terminal illness. They're dead in their sins and they are on their way to hell forever. Just like we all were. And you have the cure in your heart and in your words. Here you are in Abu Dhabi. You have the cure. You have the good news of Jesus that can save their souls. Now, what if you just don't really feel any eagerness? Let's be honest. I mean, that, all of us experience that from time to time, right? We all struggle with that. So what do you do? And here's, here's what I found helpful. This verse has helped me. Paul's eagerness didn't come out of nowhere. Paul's eagerness came from, getting, from understanding this obligation. I've received something of great worth that they desperately need. And so what I would encourage you to do is, if you're not feeling eagerness for that, take time, open up the scriptures, pray, God, help me. Help me to see what I have in Christ. Usually when I'm not eager, I'm seeing little of what I have in Christ. I've been, I've been running after this over here, running after that over here, and I haven't been setting my hearts upon the Lord. So I need to get that stirred up. Jesus, I have you. You are my infinite treasure. And to read the scriptures on how lost people are around us, to see that clearly. They are dead in sin and they're on their way to hell forever. I have Christ. They are lost. And to let the Holy Spirit stir that up in our hearts more. And when you do that, eagerness will rise. If you're not feeling eager to share the gospel with people tonight, brothers, sisters, you're not seeing Jesus clearly enough at all. And you're not seeing how lost, lost people are at all. And the good news is, God will help you. He wants you to have that eagerness in your heart. And as you spend time thinking about all you have in Christ and how lost they are, he will stir eagerness in you. It's good news. Others of you might feel like, I just don't know enough to share. What if I explain the cure wrong? Or what if, right, what if I mess something up here, right? You don't, you don't feel like we know enough. So what do you do about that? Well, there's lots of answers. Get a book. There's books in the bookstore. But one suggestion would be join a home group. Join one of our home groups. Because in our home groups, we're going to be working on helping each other learn how to share the gospel, how to share your testimony, how to share the gospel. And then our home groups do events where we invite friends to come who don't know the Lord so that we can meet each other's friends and share the gospel. It's really been beautiful what the Lord's done. So join a home group, and we're all different stages. Just We're taking baby steps, but you'll be helped to take your baby steps to be growing in sharing the gospel with people. We're all called to fulfill the Great Commission. We want to help each other move along in obeying that. So here's my encouragement. Let what Paul says here transform how you see unbelievers around you. What do you think when you see your neighbor out in front? Ready to drive away. What do you think? Obligation that makes me eager to tell them about Jesus. What do you think when you see your work associate or when you see this person standing in front of you at car four? What do you think? What's in your heart? What's in your mind? Let's ask the Lord to help us see people the way Paul saw people. I owe them. I owe them a debt that I'm thrilled to repay. You've received something of infinite value, Jesus Christ, which thousands of people here in Abu Dhabi desperately need. So let's 
ask the Lord to help that make us eager to share the gospel. Let's stand together. Father, I pray that you would work in us as a church to raise our expectations of what you can do through our conversations with each other as believers. We wouldn't settle for too little, but we would pursue what Paul tells us to pursue here. And Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would change how we view lost people around us. That we would see that we owe them. We have the cure in our hearts, in our words. Oh God, give us the eagerness that you want us to have and let us have the joy of reaping harvest here in this city. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.